to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. At this point, we're going to read the words that we just heard sung so beautifully. Can't promise that I'll sing them for you. In fact, I won't. But uh, if you please turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 5, and if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 942 in the blue Pew Bible. And Paul, uh, Paul throughout this letter, as we've seen, it sort of has some hills and valleys. And as he's been in a valley for a while, in chapters 1 through 3, he's starting to ascend now to the effects of the work that Christ has accomplished, that, we talk, that we've talked about all throughout chapter 4 and the end of chapter 3. So what does all this mean for us? What is, what's the benefit? What are the, uh, what are the goods that come to us because of what Christ has done? And that's where he begins this morning. So Romans chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. Let's ask for the Lord's grace. O Lord, open up our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. Cause us, Lord, to believe it, to live it out for your glory and honor. Amen. This is a transition verse for sure. We're about to enter a whole new section of Romans from chapter 5 through 8. One of the questions that uh, seems to plague us as believers uh, to our dying day, I suppose, is still struggling at times with God's acceptance. It's something I regularly talk to people about, and it's something that I'm not foreign to myself. And... uh, uh, Commentator Godet says that uh, a concern about the wrath of God is deep in the heart of every human being. And even believers, at the least little sin, can wonder again what will happen to me, especially as we think about that last day. Sometimes we can easily think about, yes, I'm justified, I'm a believer. And somebody says, well, what about when you stand before God? And a lot of times we think, well, I hope that never comes, almost. Or we're we're uneasy about that when all of our lives are displayed before God. 
Well, this section could be called hope, chapter 5 through 8. It could be labeled hope. Uh, The commentator Byrne uh, puts this as the title, the sure hope of salvation springing from righteousness by faith. The uh, shift then is from faith, which is mentioned 33 times in the section before this, and faith is only mentioned a few times in this section. The word life is hardly mentioned before, but the word life is mentioned some two dozen times in the section we're about to be uh, to go into. And so the movement is now from faith to what we could call hope. That we've been brought into this right standing with God. We've been brought into fellowship with God. What does it mean in our everyday life? How are we to live this out? And especially, what is the future? Will this relationship hold good all the way to the end? That is the concern of this section, all the way through chapter 8. A huge question. What is going to happen all the way till Judgment Day? And actually, chapter 5, 1 through 11, is a bookend that especially underscores hope. Really, the whole chapter does, but especially the first 11 verses. And then if you turn over a page to chapter 8, beginning with verse 14, talking about our being the sons of God, and then... In that section, in verse 17, it talks about being heirs of God and being glorified with Him. Then it talks about the creation and how it's going to be transformed when we are revealed in glory as the sons of God. And then it reaches an apex in verses 31 to 39, talking about the great hope that we have in the final day when he he ends by saying, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it begins on this high note of hope in chapter 5 that we are rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. And at the end of chapter 8, it talks about the same thing, about this hope of the glory of God in that final day. In between, in chapters 6, 7, and 8, we'll see that it talks about being free. Being free from sin in chapter 6, being free from the law in chapter 7, being free from death in chapter 8. It's a little bit simplistic, but that's basically what we're going to be dealing with. And so with these bookends of hope, he gives us hope for the present life as well. As he does in this section when the question will come up, well, what about tribulation? What about suffering? That doesn't seem to go in step with rejoicing and glorying in God. And the subject of suffering is here and in chapter 8. So as he talks about the hope and glory to come, he does so in the context of suffering. No matter what suffering. So this is a vigorous life, a vigorous hope that enables us to be strong, enables us to be refreshed even in the midst of of the suffering that we will have. And so we'll begin to dig into this uh, section. Uh, Really, it's in a sense you could call these the consequences of justification, but really it's more or less what comes in with justification. What does justification mean? What all does this mean that we're made right with God? What all comes along automatically with it? And first of all, he says, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this peace, as justification is against the backdrop of God's condemnation and wrath, and so we're going, we go from condemnation and wrath to acceptance and a righteous standing. So peace contemplates our being alienated from God and now being made friends with God. And it's really not an addition to justification. It's the necessary result of justification. Because in a normal situation with the judge and somebody who stands before him, the judge may or may not have a relationship with that person. And there may be no personal uh, talk at all. He just makes a decision, guilty or not guilty. And there has no relationship whatsoever. But that's not the case with God and the sinner. It is a very personal thing with God and the sinner. It's altogether personal, as Cranfield says. He doesn't confer the status of righteousness on us without at the same time giving himself to us in friendship and establishing peace between us. And that's glorious. That this justification is not just something separate and and impersonal and abstract, but it is a way that we are brought into fellowship with God and He becomes our friend. This is contemplated later in this same chapter. Look down in verses 10 and 11. He returns to this subject. It really is kind of a bracket in this first section, verses 1 through 11. Because he says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We see reconciliation is removal of that enmity. It's removal of the separation. So he begins by talking about peace and he ends by talking about peace because we've been reconciled and the joy that comes from having this reconciliation. And it's interesting that this peace is really part of God's promise to Israel that in the future peace will break out. He says in Isaiah 54.10, The mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. In Ezekiel, it talks the same about this covenant of peace. And then in Micah chapter 5, it says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Well, what Paul is saying here is that Israel's final hope of peace breaking out has, is now in the process of being fulfilled. Peace has broken out through the Lord Jesus Christ. We now have peace with him. And so you and I must always understand that that justification is personal. There is personal favor with God. If there is no condemnation, it means that we are brought near, that we are treasured, that all good now flows to us because we 
have peace. And notice the peace is accomplished through the death of His Son in verse 10. And recognize that it was God's initiative to bring about this peace. It was God's initiative to reconcile us to Himself. And He did so at the greatest possible cost to Himself. And we mustn't doubt that peace because then we would doubt what God Himself has done through His own Son. And He offers Himself. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, it's as though God were begging through us. He says, be reconciled to God. And if there's anyone here who's yet staying away from God at the thought that I don't, I, I couldn't be accepted by God or I couldn't be in a relationship with God. I, there's no way I could ever please this God or match up to this God. God comes to you and says, I reconcile you through my son. I take away all of your sin. I take away all condemnation that would fall on your head. And it is placed on my own son. Be reconciled. God urges you to be reconciled to him. He has accomplished the work through his son. This is one of the most glorious aspects of justification that we have this precious peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says through our Lord Jesus Christ, it means He's the living one, the mediator, the one who brings this peace and maintains this peace all the way to the end. It can't be changed because it's through Him and He sustains it. As we belong to Him, we enjoy His peace. And then Paul goes on. Not only do we have this peace with God, but he says we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Ephesians talks about this, and Paul talks about it in Ephesians 3.12. We have in Christ boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Or Ephesians 2.18, through Him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. And so we draw near to God, even dependent there upon the sacrifice, the person of Jesus Christ. We have access through it, joined to Him. We have His access to the Father. No less than Christ's own access to the Father. When He entered into heaven and sat at the right hand of God, there you see your access, your position, your place before the Father if you belong to Jesus Christ. Nothing less than that. Burns says, like ambassadors to the court of a previously hostile but now friendly power, we enjoy access and favor the grace in which we stand. And so there's this rich sense of us living within the scope of God's constant abiding favor. It's it's like a realm of favor, an atmosphere of favor that we live in, this condition and state of favor. Later in chapter 5, verse 21, it talks about grace reigning, Uh, over and against anything else in our life. Grace reigns in our life. And in chapter 6, he says, we're not under the law. We're under grace. We're in that condition where everything is about God's favor toward us. There's nothing else but favor. Yes, there's discipline. Yes, there are all kinds of things that God will do for His children. 
as they need it. But it's all a part of favor, not wrath. There's no condemnation. It is only favor toward His people in Christ. And Dunn paraphrases grace. This is from chapter 1 and verse 7. When uh, uh, Interestingly there, Paul says, peace and grace to you. Peace and grace. And here, peace and grace, we come to those again, that we enjoy these in Christ Jesus. But grace is the generous power of God that undergirds your daily life and comes to expression in your daily life. It's not simply His favor or the state of favor, but it's a power. It's His gracious work in us. Grace is active. Grace transforms us. Grace, it it, it is, you could say, a generous power of God that undergirds you and it comes to expression in your daily life. And so justified, we have peace with God. We have access to God. We stand in favor alone. And I urge you in your prayers to God that you rehearse these things, that you Feel these things by His grace and ask Him that you do that, that you do feel those things, that you have that sense of God's favor and peace, that there is nothing but His smile upon you in Christ Jesus. Even when we confess our sins, and maybe especially then, we have to have that sense of His strong embrace of us, that He doesn't just push us away at that point. Oh, no, I want to walk away from you. I want to get away from you. And then we kind of have this sense of what can I do to get God back? As though ever my goodness got God in the first place. Never. It's it's only grace. It's only favor. It's Him coming to me. As Paul said earlier, He justifies the ungodly. And even later here, Christ, verse 6, died for the ungodly. He reconciled with us when we were unreconcilable, when we were unlovable. And then he says, we have peace with God. We have access into this grace in which we stand. And thirdly, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This, this word rejoice is the word that he's used several times for boasting. And so it's, it almost seems odd that we would boast in this way. But the, the word is just a powerful word for rejoicing. It, it means jubilation. It means confident joy. Uh, it means exultant re- rejoicing. And it's against what he referred to earlier, the boasting of the Jews in chapter 2 and chapter 3, because that boasting centered on human accomplishment. It it was based on their privileged status. It was based on human achievement. But he says, we boast not in that. We boast in hope of the glory of God. It's interesting, for instance, in Philippians 3, Paul says, we boast, same word, we glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. Or Galatians 6, he says, I boast in nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ. Or remember that passage in Jeremiah, and the same Greek word translates here in Jeremiah 9. 
Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the powerful man boast in his power or might. Don't let the rich man boast in his riches, but let them boast in this that they know and understand me, the God. And I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Or as Paul summarized that or paraphrases it, it's written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So you get the idea, you see, you boast in what gives you meaning. It defines you. You look to that thing for satisfaction and significance. It's your joy. It's the center of your life. Kaysman writes this, if Paul, as Paul sees it, existence is defined by its Lord. See, you boast in that which really is your Lord. You put confidence in that. You look to that thing to sustain your life, to give you real meaning and significance in life. And so the basic understanding of of existence comes to expression in boasting. In this, a person tells to whom he belongs. See, in your rejoicing and boasting, you're really saying, "This this is to whom I belong. This defines me. This is who I am this thing that I treasure so much, this thing that I put my trust in, this thing that I rejoice in. And so thinking of all of that, think about this. Paul says, here's what we boast in. And here's an examination for all of us. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's what we boast in. That defines our lives. We boast in that thing, the glory of God, that hope that we have, that one day we will taste and know that glory. That shapes us, that chisels us, that defines us. It sustains us. It's what I'm about. It's, It's how my Lord has come to express Himself to me and His promise, His final, ultimate promise. And so Godet says here, not only do we not, it's not just that we don't dread any evil at the hand of God, which we don't, because we have peace with God, right? We, we have access to God. So it's not just, but it is that, that we don't fear any evil, any harm from God. But we, when we think of Him, we have the joyful hope of all blessings. It's not just the removal of the negative. He's not going to do us any harm. He's going to do us all good, ultimate good. All blessing will come to us in Christ Jesus. And he, Paul says, we believers fix our hope upon that. We boast in that, this glory. And it's not just that the, when it says the glory of God, as Murray and others point out, it's not just the glory that comes from God, like He's the source of glory, but it really is His glory revealed in Christ in that final day, and then that glory that transforms us. His glory is revealed to us for our joy and satisfaction and admiration, okay? And then we're transformed by it as well, into conformity with that glory. As John says, we shall see him like he is, and we shall be like him. 1 John 3. Saying, then we'll, it'll be seen that we really are his children. It looks like we're not his children, because we look like everybody else. But in that day, when he's revealed and we see him as he is, we will be like him. 
we will be revealed. It, it's like an unveiling of what we were all along. And so this speaks of the final revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ at the second coming, at the end of history. As it says in Titus 2, we're waiting for our blessed hope. After saying we've been redeemed and and rescued, he says, now here's our condition. Here's kind of what we are about. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter 4.13, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So glory defines the very ending of history. It's where all history is headed. We know where history is headed. It is headed toward the coming of Christ when His glory will will be revealed. And at that time... Paul tells us in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior. See, it's just the way Christians are. We wait. We are waiting for this Savior to come from heaven because that's where our citizenship is. That's where we belong there in the new heavens and the new earth that he will create. Our citizenship is in heaven. We await the Lord Jesus who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. There's the transformation. He has been raised to a new body and a new life. When he comes again, we will be raised to that new body and that new life. As Paul puts it in Colossians 3, when Christ, verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says that's the hope of glory. We, we boast in that hope of the glory of God. Second Thessalonians 2 says this, verse 14, To this he called you through our gospel, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that phrase almost, I mean, just to read it, it it practically seems blasphemous, doesn't it? Because you think, well, there's no way that I could share the glory of Jesus Christ. And I know ultimately as the God-man, as in his divinity, of course, we share none of his glory as, as God. But whatever glory he has as a human being, we've said it many times, that's the glory that we will share. Because he entered into that glory, not for himself, but for us. He was raised into that new body for us so that we would have that new body. He entered into that glory to take us to that glory. You know, in that sense, he didn't need it. He's God. But he took flesh upon himself. He died for our sins, was raised to a new life so that, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he might be the first fruits of a whole harvest. The first fruits of a whole harvest. Or as Paul puts it here in Romans chapter 8, that he, he foreknew, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So when he says conformed to the image of his son, he means that final conformity of glory. 
so that he would just be the firstborn, the first resurrected of many brothers and sisters that will also be resurrected, that will also have that glorious body. And it's interesting, I love this summary in Hebrews chapter 2. As he's describing our salvation, it's talking about God and he's talking about what he did for Christ. It says, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So he's saying it it was fitting that Jesus Christ would be made perfect through suffering. But the way he describes our salvation in bringing many sons to glory. That's what he came to do, to bring many sons to glory. That's what it says God predestined. Predestined what? That we would be conformed to the image of Christ so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. So from the beginning of the world, the plan is to bring us into glory. And as we read in Romans 8, it, the whole creation will be caught up with this. In fact, it says the creation, in verse 21, will be set free from its bondage to obtain and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, verse 21. <clears throat> and so the whole creation, it says in verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The whole creation is going to be restored when we come into our own, so to speak. When we are transformed by the glory of Jesus Christ. I love what Murray calls the glory of God. He says, it's the ultimate sequel. (laughs) Talk about a sequel, a movie, you know, the second movie. He says, this is the ultimate sequel, the glory of God. Talk about a sequel to your life and my life. Talk about a sequel to this broken creation is the new creation, the new heavens and the earth, the glory of the children of God. Well, we're going to end right here for time. But I want you to get this much that he says, because the question arises, the question arises, what about all of the the suffering of this world? You're talking about this glorious boasting and this this glorying, this rejoicing, this confident happiness that you have. What about all the suffering that's going on? Is that going to lower your tone a little bit? And basically what Paul argues here, no, suffering actually will produce even more hope in the coming glory of God. Nothing can be against us. Even the worst things will help promote our glorying in the hope of God. That's what he's going to argue here. And so you can see again how chapter 5 anticipates chapter 8 where he says, All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? That we would finally be glorified. And everything will work to that purpose. Everything will advance us to that end. Everything, as we believe in him and trust in him, will only build up our hope and faith and confidence in him. Will only grow us more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. 
And he will argue, beginning in verse 6, he will talk about how if we've been brought as ungodly and sinners and weak and enemies, if we've been brought into fellowship with God, how will we not then be brought all the way to the end? And Godet suggests that as he talks about the Holy Spirit convincing us of the love of God, he suggests that this is basically the Holy Spirit's argument in our heart. It's basically the way the, way the Holy Spirit brings the work of Christ to bear in our hearts. and says, look, when you were ungodly, He died for you. When you were weak and a sinner and an enemy, He acted on your behalf. Now that you've been brought into fellowship with Him, now that you're His friend and wrath is removed, do you think He won't sustain you all the way to the end? And so God's love poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this calls for great rejoicing. This calls for great praise. Are you tasting of the goodness of God? Are you tasting that you have peace with Him, that you stand in His grace? And here's a hard one, isn't it? I dare say all of us will have to say, you know, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Sometimes I think about it. Sometimes I pull away from everything and kind of get a vague notion of what's going to happen one day. It's a far cry, isn't it, from, by God's grace, that becoming the very atmosphere of your life, which sustains you and gives you an energy and a resilience in the face of trial and difficulty that nothing else will. It's practically the definition of the New Testament Christian, his hope the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, I pray that you will embrace Him and that you will know His peace and grace and that you will enter into this vigorous joy over the final hope of knowing His glory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your great work for us in Christ Jesus. We honor You, Lord, that you have declared us righteous in your courtroom, that you have drawn us near to you and embraced us in full favor, that there is no wrath upon us. It is only friendship. It is only grace. And that, as you say later in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? Lord, we lift you up that this is the atmosphere in which we can live out even in the greatest difficulties, this burning glorious hope that you have given us. Oh Lord, to be declared righteous means that we will be vindicated in that day. To be declared righteous means that glory is assured, it is fixed. Thank you, Lord, for such glorious assurance. Strengthen our hearts. May Christ be the full foundation of our lives. May we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. 
Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?